0: See the amazing example of, of your authority. You are king, you rule and reign. And I, I just thank you this the, you just show us to your, your power over all things. Your your teaching power that amazes people, your power over the, the spiritual, your ability to shut up demons, your power over the physical, Lord, to heal, to, to renew, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us that today. I pray that we, you would teach us, Lord. I pray that we would be able to see you, the king, and all your majesty, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live with you as king of our lives. Help us to understand, Lord, your kingdom, your kingdom calling on our lives. In our in our place in this world, uh, help us understand the, the calling of the church, and, and uh, Lord, what this means for us, Lord. Teach us today, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, welcome to Redemption West Mesa. My name is Chris Mom, the lead pastor here, and I think it's ironic that the week we're talking about demons, no one is here. I think some spiritual warfare is going on today. I'm just joking. Actually, I, I know where a lot of people are. Joe and Lisa Munson just had their baby, so we're, we're going to be excited to see their baby in a couple weeks, hopefully. They don't have Facebook, so not everyone knows that yet. And I know some other people are on, on vacation, so it's good stuff mostly. But I want to get into the scripture. I, I got a lot here in the scripture. And so I want to move fast, but one thing I talked about last week was that these Gospels are like four documentaries of the life of Jesus, right? The Gospel writers take the raw footage of Jesus' life and and they're trying to tell us a story, right? They're telling us the story of the good news of Jesus. And Mark's tends to, is tending to focus on Jesus as king and his kingdom, right? And so that in his kingdom rule and in his kingdom authority, that's what Mark is focusing on here in the, in the beginning of Mark, and and so what he's he's showing us is is Jesus calling us to follow him, right? Repent and believe, follow me, because I'm king and my kingdom is at hand. He's saying, right? And so one thing we talked about, and this is an important thing for you to understand, is to understand what God's kingdom is. All right, because if you can understand God's kingdom, you can find your place and understand where we are in history and what God is calling us to do and, and who he's calling us to be, all right? So God's kingdom is an already but not yet kingdom, right? Because Jesus establishes his kingdom when, when he rises from the grave. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says, right? But we look around, where is this kingdom, Right? We don't see it because it's an already but not yet kingdom. So he establishes his kingdom. He rules and reigns over all things right now, but it's not yet. We're waiting for that, that future restoration when Jesus returns, when he, when he makes all things new. All right? when, when, one way you can think about it is, imagine you get one of those little dollar lotto tickets. You scratch it, you win a million dollars. You're a millionaire when you have that lotto ticket but you haven't received your prize yet. And that's how God's kingdom is. And so we're called to live in that reality, like, hey, I already have that million dollars, but I haven't yet received it. And so the time we live in is, is, is the time between, right, what Jesus has already done, his redemption and his future, future restoration. That's where we're living today. And it's the church age. And God has his people here intentionally. Right, because he, he he's he's got a plan to save people, he's got a plan to to reveal himself to more people, because he's a God, he's a loving God who saves, and he's left his church here, right to worship him, to live for his glory, to share the good news, to be fishers of men. That's why he has us here. We have a purpose. We have a great purpose, and so that's why it's under uh, important to understand this 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 incredible time, this incredible opportunity we have as his church, to live in light of that future hope that we have when he returns, all right? So, so what we see today, all right, is we're going to see Jesus' authority as king, all right? He's validating his authority as king. We see three, three ways he does it, teaching, spiritual, and physical, all right? So the first view we get here, is Jesus entering into the synagogue and teaching. The synagogues were almost like Jewish churches. They had been set up when the temple was destroyed as a way for the Jews to worship God. And they would bring in guest rabbis. And so here's guest rabbi Jesus. And the amazing thing is Jesus, he is the most incredible teacher ever, whoever lived, who ever walked. He's the most amazing. And and it says here that they're astonished at his teaching, right? They're amazed at his authority because he doesn't teach like the scribes, right? So Mark uses this term authority, which means he teaches out of the original stuff, right? He doesn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He teaches out of the original stuff. He teaches from his own divine authority, right? He, 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 he can speak because he's God, because he is king, right? He speaks as if he's in charge. This is my truth, and that's it. So the text doesn't give us an example, a sample of his teaching here, but there are other examples in the other scripture of Jesus' authority. Whenever a, a, a scribe or any teacher or even a prophet would teach, they would say, Thus saith the Lord. Right, they don't speak with their own authority. Thus saith the Lord. And in this time, in, in the synagogues, they say they quote other rabbis. This rabbi says this, or this rabbi says that. Right, but Jesus would say, "But I say to you." Right on the on the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew, uh, Matthew five and six, Jesus says, "You've heard it was said, but I say to you." Right. So no prophet, priest, teacher would ever say something like this. No one had the authority to say something like this. Another thing that Jesus would often do in his teaching is he would say, Truly, I say to you. Or other, other translations would say, Verily, verily, I say to you. And what that, that, that statement means, truly, I say to you, is amen. So you know when you agree with the preacher, you agree with the worship leader, You say, Amen. You're saying, I agree. Yes, you're validating what what the teacher says. Right? And in this time in the synagogues, the the scribes would say, Amen, to to validate someone else's teaching. Now Jesus comes and he starts with Amen. Truly, Amen, I say to you. Truly, I say to you. Jesus validates his own teaching. Right? And this astonishes them. Right? So Jesus says, I take away uh, your right to judge my teaching because I'm the judge. Right? I'm the only one that can judge my teaching. He says, in a sense, he's saying no one has the authority to reject any part of my teaching. Right? Again, because I validate myself. And there's no standard of teaching higher than myself. Right? So Jesus comes in speaking powerfully. And so I thought, well, what, is, what does this really mean for our lives as Jesus demonstrates his authority for teaching in, as, as the king, right? And what it means for us is here we are now, God's kingdom people, and it means that we must submit to his teaching authority, which is in his word, right? So as Jesus was there, the, He had to submit to his teaching, he had to show his, his authority, and equally today... His teaching holds authority over our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17, one of my favorite verses. You probably know it. It's one of the most probably commonly quoted scriptures. But all scripture is God-breathed. This is the NIV version. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? And so what that is teaching us, that shows us, is that the Scripture is literally God-breathed, right? It's the breath of God. It's spoken by God, right? Prayer is the way we talk to God, but the Scripture is the primary way God speaks to us. That's how God demonstrates His teaching authority in our lives, and and it's our responsibility to submit ourselves to Jesus' teaching authority as King. Right, Each of the 66 books of the Bible were given, us, given to us by God through men who were inspired by, by the Holy Spirit. And they all hold equal authority of, of Christ Jesus in our life. And you notice it says it's, it's profitable for, right? It's useful. The scripture is effective. The scripture is not old and outdated and, and expired. It's profitable. It's useful. It's effective. For teaching, right? It teaches us who God is. Helps us understand even who we are and, and make sense of this world around us. It, it says reproof here in the ESV. In the NIV it says rebuking us. The idea is that, it, that it, it convicts us. The scripture convicts us. It, it points out the error in our lives. It helps us to see what is wrong in our life. right? So it convicts us. It, it reveals us. But it doesn't just leave us there, right? Because the scripture then corrects us, tells us here, here's where you've fallen out of line, and, and then it corrects us and put us, puts us back in line, right? So that we can walk in line with the truth of the gospel, so that we can walk in the ways of Christ. And the final thing it says it, it trains us in righteousness. So it continually trains us to, to live as God would want us to live, to live for his glory. And it thoroughly equips us for every good work. Right? So God gives us his scripture to uh, equip us for, for his ministry. To equip us, the church, for the mission that he has here for us. We, we cannot fulfill God's mission without scripture. Without coming under the authority. And it says it makes us mature and complete. Right? You can't be mature and you can't be a mature Christian without submitting yourselves under the scriptures con- continuously. And, and God matures us and makes us wise, right? And makes us uh, wise and not foolish. So uh, when I uh, first started going to East Valley Bible Church back in 1999, East Valley Bible is now Redemption Gilbert. When I first went there, they, they were teaching on the, the doctrines of grace, or the doctrines of predestination, election, whatever you want to call it, Calvinism, and the first time I heard it, I totally just could not accept it, right? They're clearly teaching the scripture, I was hearing it, I was looking at the scriptures, but my problem was, what the, the scriptures weren't line, lining up with my beliefs, and they weren't lining up with my experience. And so, so I, I rejected the teaching because it didn't line up for what I already believed, right? And I was too immature to see that, no, I need to, let, I need to submit to Scripture and let Scripture shake me. And so I, I remember rejecting it, and it, and it took me to about the second or third time really going through those Scriptures before I could, I could just submit myself to God and say, hey, this is, God, you say it. And it's true, and even though m- my past experience might say something different than this, or, or my tradition from, from what I had previously learned said something different, I see what, this is what the scripture says. right And if you're king and your teaching has authority, I have to submit under your scripture. And so that's how God matured me in that case, right? And I, I began to experience new freedom and, and, and the power of understanding God's sovereignty. And, and so that's what we have to do. And that's exactly what, that's what the idea of renewing your mind is. Right? God renews our mind as we submit to his scriptures. Right? The Romans 12 two says, Do not conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if you picture your mind as a battlefield, Right? You got the flesh, you got your old mind coming in, and, and God wants to renew that mind. The old mind is holding on to traditions and lies and, and false beliefs. And the, the new mind submitted to Christ is filled with truth and love and righteousness. And, and so, as we submit to Scripture, God renews our mind, and, 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 and it's a battlefield, right? He's, he's overcoming the lies. He's overcoming the old life, and that, that, that's what happens as we pray, and we read, and, and we study, and we meditate on Scripture, and we memorize Scripture, right? We come under its authority. God remo- renews our mind, and it changes us, and what our mind, what you believe, affects your behaviors, right? It's going to affect your actions, how you live, and so it's really important to submit your mind, to, to Christ. Right. The second part here, we see this amazing scene. I'm not going to re- read it again. But we see here, same scene. Jesus is still teaching. They're still amazed at his authority. Crazy guy runs in, right? Calling Jesus the Lord and, and saying, who, who are you are You coming to destroy us? He calls him the Holy One of God. And Jesus, you know, it's, he just... Shut up and get out of them. He displays his power over the spiritual world. Right? Over the, over the demonic. And that's what Mark's purposely given us this, this story again to tell us. Hey, Jesus has authority over teaching and now, and now the spiritual world. And so I want to address first thing, is I want to address the reality of, of demons. Right? If, if God is real, it's equally plausible that demons and satan are real. If you can believe in one, you should be able to believe in the other. And, and ultimately we we can believe are real. The demonic is real because Jesus says it's real. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 6 that about this reality of satan and the spiritual forces of of evil that are against us. Right? And it, and and it then it tells us to put on the full armor of God. It tells us how we can we can fight against Satan and his Evil schemes. But there's two common, and if you want more information about demonic or anything, there's going to be a blog on the website. I just don't have a lot of time to talk about it. Go look at the blog. It'll be up this week. But there's two common errors that we can make with, when it comes to the demonic. The first is, it is that everything is demonic. Everything's a demon. Now, charismatic churches tend to, to fall into this error. Right? They make everything is a demon. All pain, suffering, evil, uh, sinful behavior, sickness, everything is a demon that needs to be cast out of you. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Deliverance Ministries. You know, you might have uh, heard of that. So they, they, they believe everything's a demon, everything bad is a demon and needs to be cast out of you. And, and so that's just simply not true. Everything is not a demon. Right, the sin, This world is broken, and, and it's fallen, and it's not the way it's supposed to be, so a lot of pain and suffering and evil is just a result of, of a, the broken world that we live in. Some things are demonic, but not everything is demonic. And so the, the opposite error that you could make is that nothing is a demon. And so churches like us, you know, that tend to focus on the scripture tend to want to uh, go to this error, Right? And just totally ignore the, spi- the, the spiritual world. And we, we're, I know for me, I'm so big on God's sovereignty and God's so powerful, I tend to just totally ignore it altogether. But the Bible speaks of, of the reality of it. And so uh, it's dangerous to make the, the opposite error as well. So what you need to know is everything it's not a demon, but more things are demonic than we realize, right? So, so when we look at this world and we see murder, right? Murder is demonic. Abortion is demonic. That's the demonic works. Uh, child abuse, rape, those are demonic. Pornography, that's just demonic. And so, there's definitely a lot more demonic works out there than we even realize. But some things are also a product of a broken world. And the hard thing with this is, is we just don't really know what is what. Is it just because this world is sinful and fallen? Or is it, is there, there's going to be both out there. There's going to be both. And the... All this means is that we need to just trust Jesus, right, because he's sovereign, he's in control, he's more powerful than any demon, and that's what he's showing us here. And the good news is that Christians cannot be possessed by the demonic, right? Christians can't have demons to be delivered out of us, because if you're a Christian, you're already possessed by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives inside of you, and so we don't have to fear we can trust God and, and, and be filled with him. And although Satan's still alive and working and, and seeks to, to devour us like a roaring lion with the script, the picture of the scripture is, is we can trust in God. We can find our, our strength and our hope in him. And then we can trust in his promises. Even though Satan might tempt me, even though Satan might uh, uh, reveal lies to me or, or bring some suffering or hardship into my life, I can still trust in God because he's sovereign. And he's working, and he promises to work out all things for my good. So that's the, that's the good news. Our king is more powerful than Satan, and we can trust him. So so, uh, so right here also we see this. is not just simply a claim to authority, but this is a demonstration of Jesus' authority. Right? He's claimed his authority in teaching already and calling disciples to follow him, but here he displays his authority. Right? He doesn't put on a, a sideshow. There's no ritual or incantation. There's no you know, long, drawn-out exorcism. Jesus shows his amazing power. All he says is, shut up and, and get out. Right? That's true power. That's true authority. That's something to be, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing in this scary situation. I would have probably been running. I would have run out that door. I would have been the first one out. <laughs> and uh, so let's, uh, I want to move to the next section here. But I, I think that's what, that's what Mark's just showing, right? This uh, amazing power and authority, kingship of Jesus over the demonic and spiritual world. The last one we see is Jesus' authority over the physical world. And uh, this is the most convenient uh, healing of all Jesus' ministry right here, right? He heals the lady, uh, Mark's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, to come serve them dinner, right? Most convenient. But here's an interesting fact here as well, is Simon Peter was married. He had to be married to have a mother-in-law, right? And we know in 1 Corinthians 9-5, if you want to go look at that, that he had a wife that would literally go along on mission trips with him. So just an interesting fact there. But here what we see is that, the, that, that Jesus is king, and he's concerned with the physical world. He's not just con- concerned with the spiritual, get people saved, but he, he's concerned about healing in all of his creation. And so when the world was under God's rule previously, right, there was no pain, no sickness, no death, no suffering, and then when Christ returns, once again, there will be no sickness, pain, death, and suffering. And so what we see almost, it, what we see here is this amazing picture of, of God's kingdom breaking in as he's, as he's healing people, right? As he's, he's restoring people to health. It's a, it's a preview. It's a, 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 a foretaste of what's going to happen at the end, right, when God makes all things new. He's going to bring healing to all things and restoration to all things. And so that's what we're seeing. And, and Joel's going to talk more about this next week. So I don't want to steal his thunder here. But I just, here's a, I just want to give you a few applications here. The first thing is we see is Jesus' kingdom rule brings healing and wholeness to any area that... Uh, comes under his authority, right? So when we come under his teaching authority, he brings healing and wholeness to our minds. When people come under his his spiritual authority, it brings healing and wholeness to to our soul, right? We're restored to the relationship with the one that we're created for. Healing and wholeness. And the third one is we see his physical authority brings healing and wholeness to, to not just the body, but to the whole world, which God is, is concerned with. Second thing we see is his kingdom authority extends over every area of life and reality. right? Every, so his teaching, sense of life, spiritual, soul, physical, body, same idea. And so Jesus has absolute authority over every area of our lives. Right? There's no, no part of our life where we can say, this is for me, Jesus. And you can have this part, but this is for me. It all belongs to him. All of life is all for Jesus, if he is king. That's important. And the third one is that deep down, we all need a king. We all need a king, yet we resist. I want to read a quote from you for you. When we come to Christ... We almost always come looking for someone to help us and love us, not to rule us, but we must receive him as a ruler, right? We're, so we're, when we come to Christ, we're not looking to, to submit and have him rule and reign over our lives. We just, we just want our God to help us, right, to, to uh, help us on our way, right, to, to bless us, to enhance us, to help us accomplish our goals, But Jesus says, no, I want to be king, and and he's going to change everything. he'll give you new goals. And and ultimately, the truth is that we seek to be our own king. And that's the the root of all sin. The root of all sin is that we seek to be our own king. It started in the beginning. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, I spoke about this a little bit last week right? This, they, they, they didn't believe God. And so they reject God. And they seek to take control of their own lives. They say, I'm going to do it my own way. And seek to depend on themselves. That's what pride does. And that's all of our problem. All of our root problem is pride. I want you to get that. And so the way you'll be able to to see pride working out is is. When you're in control of your own world, you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting Jesus. And so the opposite of trust is always fear. It will always lead to fear. Now fear might not manifest itself in your life when things are going well, right? When I'm pridefully controlling my own life and I have my own goals and my own desires and and it's going well, you're probably not going to feel fear. But as soon as you lose control of your world, you're going you're to feel fear. You're going to feel stress and anxiety. And you're not going to be able to sleep at night because you're, you're, you're trying to, oh, i got to get it all back together. Right? That's, that's, that's a life of rebellion towards God. And so here's some examples of some fear. You might have a fear of exposure. You might have fear of consequences or rejection. You might have a fear of the unknown or the future. I'd like you to, or or a big one is a a fear of failure. right, so think about that. Do any of those ring a bell in your head? Fear of exposure, fear of consequences, rejection, fear of the unknown, of the future, or failure. We probably all experience at least a couple of those fears Regularly in our life, and what those reveal is, is that we're pridefully trying to be king of our own life. And what will happen is because of those fears, it'll lead to sinful behaviors and negative emotions to control the world around us. Right? So we'll, we'll, we'll fear, we'll withdraw from people, we'll hide from people. Right? If our fear, of rege- if our fear is of rejection, then we're going to try to people please. Uh, will it lead us to arguing or mani- manipulating or trying to intimidate people, right? Because you're trying to control, do whatever it takes to control the world around you. So what you do is when you start experiencing these negative emotions in your life, right? Sinful behaviors, negative emotions, what you need to ask yourself is, what am I afraid of? And when, and when you realize you're being afraid, you, you realize, I'm not trusting God, So it brings it back to the heart. Well, if I'm not trusting God, then I'm pridefully seeking to control my own world. Right? So pride leads to me controlling my world, which is going to lead to fear and and negative emotions and behaviors. Where the opposite is when I'm trusting God, right? Uh, For example, let's say uh, my natural tendency is to fear others. I, I fear rejection. And so when anyone says anything, uh, so I, I try to people please and make people happy, right? And so when someone rejects me, it, it hurts me to my core, and, and, and it makes me respond sinfully back towards them. But when I'm, I'm trusting God and, and I'm believing his truth, I can, I can love people even when they reject me because I have everything I need from Christ Jesus, right? I don't have to fear people's rejection, and I can love difficult people. Because I have everything I need in Christ, I'm trusting him, and I'm operating from, from trust in, in him as king and authority over my life. All right. So you're always going to see, the, when you start seeing the, the problem behaviors and emotions, they're just, they're just uh, how could you say it? They're just the alert for you to look deeper in your heart. All right? and, and, and what did Jesus call us to? Right, Jesus, when he reveals his kingdom, is at hand, he says, repent and believe. Right, the Bible always calls us to repent and believe, or, or faith, right? repentance and faith. And the reason that is, is because those address our two main problems. Right? Faith addresses the lies that we've believed about God. Right? So we, we turn from lies and we turn to truth with faith. And then repentance deals with our, us trying to be king of our own life, right? So we're believing lies. We're trying to control our own world. And Jesus says, repentance and faith. Turn from the lies. Turn to truth. And, and stop being king of your own life and surrender to my, king, my kingdom authority. And that's why repentance and faith are so important. And so Christians continually do that all of our life. Repentance and faith. And, and that's how God continually gets us to surrender more and more control of our life. And that's how God continually sanctifies us. All right. I want to read this quote, and, uh, and then I'll pray. Here's what Jesus is saying. Follow me because I'm the king you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything. Yet I have humbled myself for you because I died on the cross for you when you didn't have the right beliefs or the right behavior, because I brought you news, not advice, because I'm your true love, your true life, follow me. Lord Jesus, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to see, Lord, as we we see, the easiest things to see, Lord, is our, 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 our problem behaviors, Lord. Help us go deeper and see, Lord, that the deep root of that is us trying to, be king of our own life, Lord, and, and that we need to surrender to your kingship and have a renewed mind and have a renewed soul and, and have a, just a, all, a whole renewed life, Lord. We love you and we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.